So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Hey, everybody. Carol here. We just want to extend a heartfelt thanks to our Patreon supporters. Today, we showcase these 10 with our deep thanks. Yurig Taraday, Alexander Burris, Mark Kali, Daniel Tudman, Stuart Mann, David Matthews, Richard Hicks, Giselle Warwick, Neil Wilson, and Michael Crum. Thank you all. If you want to join the Smashing Security Patreon community, check us out at smashingsecurity.com forward slash Patreon. Now let's get the show on the road. G-I-G-A-B-Y-T-E. How do you pronounce that? Well, Jigawatt, obviously. Well, no, because she's spelled bite, girl. Uh, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> can't even spell, can it? It's gigabyte. Gigabyte. G- gigabyte and, yes. and gif, right? NIST says that the G-I-G-A prefix is pronounced jiga. What? Jiga, 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 jiga. Making the pronunciation of what we normally would say gigawatts in Back to the Future is actually correct as gigawatts. What? Smashing Security, Episode 187, Huawei Ban, MGM Hack, and a Contact Tracing Cock-Up, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 187. My name's Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio. And we're joined this week... You already know who it is. It's Maria Vermasis. It's me. Hi. Welcome, Maria. Back by popular demand via Twitter. Thank you all for summoning me. God, hey, your fans went crazy. (laughs) They're like, Maria. (laughs) I broke the rules by asking you publicly just to see what would happen. And whoa. Shame her on Twitter. Yeah, I can't say no. The internet demands it. It's like proposing in public. (laughs) Bro, what's coming up on the show this week? (laughs) Okay, first thanks to this week's sponsors, Authenticate and LastPass. Their support helps us give you the show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham is going to share the latest UK COVID tracing snafu. Maria asks, who are we when it comes to Huawei? And I will be showing how (laughs) not to handle a giant... Did you really... 
and I will be showing how not to handle a ginormous data breach. Plus, we have an amazing feature interview with the CEO of Authenticate, Scott Petrie, where you can learn more about how they can provide resilient privacy to online work. It's super cool, so stay tuned after Pick of the Week. And there's loads more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Who are we? Who are we? Okay, really? Oh my God. It was gorgeous. Come on. Now, chums, chums, it may have escaped your notice. There's a global pandemic going on. Did you spot it? (laughs) No. Someone could have told me. Someone could have mentioned. Turns out, despite what some countries' leaders would have you believe, it's actually quite serious. Mm. And maybe something should be done about it. So I don't know what... Would be nice. Yeah, if someone could sort it out, that would be smashing. Now, Great Britain, as we know, we lead the world, right? Hashtag fact. (laughs) Uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone would agree with that at all. Well, then. you say that, Crow, but I think the evidence is all there. We're the only country which declares its own fabulousness in its actual name. We're great. We're Great Britain. France isn't fantastic France. There's no rather super Russia, no bloody brilliant Belgium. I don't think that's true at all. Have you done your research on that? I don't yes. think you have. What? <laughs> I... What about O Canada? It's very O. <laughs> Hold on, Grim. What? Are you reaching for the globe? She's getting, she's getting I'm, I'm reaching for the Economist Pocket World in figures. Okay, okay. Just to Challenge see. me if you wish. The United States. We're very united. <laughs> yes, Cannot be right. divided. Definitely no <laughs> culture war going on at all. United States. So you're... Exactly. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I will look it up and I'll say after the show. The Democratic Republic of Congo, right? <laughs> I don't even need a map for that one. <laughs> Well, here in the United Kingdom, the powers that be decided to put in place a contact tracing program, not an app. I mean, they tried to do an app, but it's had a few teething problems on the Isle of Wight, and um, they've admitted it's not actually very good. Maybe they'll get back to it later in the year. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) No, I actually mean that they've got people who are contacting uh, people who've contracted COVID-19, working out where they've been who they might have infected, trying to trace the infection. That's obviously a good thing to do. Yes. Kind of like this countrywide people are actually calling people saying, hey, you apparently right. have been infected. Can you tell me where you've been so I can contact some of those people and let them know that it's serious? What we've been doing in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, as a matter of fact. Yes, I think many countries have been doing something similar. And mm-hmm. there were some concerns at first, well, couldn't scammers phone up people or send the text messages? And the government reassured us that, oh, you don't have to worry about that because the genuine. Is <laughs> there a cough there? Because he, he got it, right? So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that because the genuine contact tracer, they said, will sound very professional. Right. I said. And so you don't have to worry about scammers. Now, who should be put in charge of this monumental challenge? What great brain should organize this thing with the skip? Well, who they've ended up choosing is Dido Hardin. And Dido Hardin <laughs> is the ex-chief executive officer of Talk Talk, who were massively hacked by teenagers. Yeah, good communicator, though. <laughs> well, yes, she appeared on TV a lot, um, talking about, uh, what was it she was talking about? It was uh, sequential attacks. And, um, <laughs> uh, it's like Rudy Giuliani, sort of a cybersecurity expert. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, yes. wonderful. 
But Dido has lots of experience. She uh, she's used to be a horse jockey. Uh, she's a prominent <laughs> member of the Jockey Club. Okay. And, uh, There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, we all have no, hobbies. No, no, uh, let me explain. Don't let me be explain. a dick. No, there's nothing wrong with being a jockey. And she's very important inside the Jockey Club. It was her organisation which gave the go-ahead to the Cheltenham Horse Racing Festival where oodles of people, over 250,000 people went. Well, most of the country was preparing for lockdown. Mm. Oh, And then there was a flare-up of COVID-19 so in Cheltenham. Lots of experience. Can I just make sure I understand? So she was put in charge of this. Yes, yes. The government's contact and trace program. Yes. She then broke the rules for her own Oh, no, no. Horse- this, this, this was basically her interview, her audition for the job. So before she got the job, a few weeks before, mm. she had organised this thing where there was a flare-up. of. So she's perfect. I mean, to be honest, if you're going to trace lots of people who might have the infection, go down the list of people <laughs> who went to the horse race in which she organised. So she has access to the data. It sounds, makes a lot, lot of sense to me. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. And in May, the UK government, Boris Johnson, stood up there and he said, we've got 25,000 contact tracers ready to go. He said, this is a world-beating test and tracing system. We're going to train them up and they're, they're going to be starting to phone everybody up. So you may ask, now it's a couple of months later, how's it all going? Are they off to the races it's going to be interesting graham because we covered this a few weeks ago it'd be interesting to see what's happened since because it was imminently about to be you know uh, well it's all in place now and it was all going very smoothly until this morning as we record this we're recording this on tuesday the 14th of july uh bastille day Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) <laughs> the fabulous French again. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, it was going well until then because this morning at eight o'clock, the contact tracers tried to log into their online system from their homes. As they do every day. As, as they does. do every day. Mm-hmm. But this day, they were greeted with a message which said, your password has expired. You can't log in. Is this like an old school security thing? Because we used to do that in the old days where we'd kind of force a password reset every, I don't know, twice a year, whatever, some amount of time. In this case, it was exactly two months since the traces had all been registered (laughs) on the service. Two (laughs) Two months had gone by. And so... They all oh, had their passwords no. expired. So oh, everyone got the same email. It was an email they got. Oh, no, they, they tried to log in. They tried to log in. Right? You, oh, you tried, my God. You tried to log in and you were told, contact your administrator. Now, okay. there have been stories in the One press. One guy named Joe. About. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe's on holiday going, what the fuck? Anyway. <laughs> If you found it difficult to contact an administrator, maybe they turned their mobile phone off, um, (laughs) you might try and go to the website, which lets you reset the password. So these are the workers, right? These are the 25,000 people that have been (laughs) hired by the government to to help combat this pandemic. Joe being like, ticket resolved, there's a password reset protocol. Why aren't they using it, dumb users? (laughs) So if you went... To the webpage run by Seitel, which lets you reset your password, you were greeted with a message from your browser saying, can't open that page because the server is not responding. Now, do you have any guesses? It's too much traffic. DDoS. They gave it a gentle hug to death. Yeah, but it's almost like not DDoS, but it's almost by, by, by request. Yeah, it's sort of... 
It's like a requested DDoS. It's getting reddited. Maybe they were testing the resiliency of the system. That's what right. was going on. I mean, just like COVID-19 does a denial of service on your own body and you can't, you aren't effective, you know, you can't work and you can't stand up and you feel terrible. Similarly, this has happened to you as well and you can't get through to the site because this is, it's horrendous. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I would like to remind everybody, I'm sure our listeners are very wise. But enforcing regular password changes just for the sake of it, like every two months, not necessarily a good idea. No, it's also extremely old school and there's much cooler ways to manage these things these days. Well, I think you should only really change your password if you've got a reason to change your password. So only reset people's passwords if you've had a breach or something or if you realise you're... Weak. Yes, or if you realise you're reusing the same password. Let's hope those 25,000 people, by the way, when they were registered, weren't all given the same password. Let's hope that that wasn't the case, but who knows? Uh, they, they changed the password policy to expire every 90 days now, so that's, that'll help. <laughs> um, but, but also, the problem is that when you get told, if you're in a regular job, if you remember regular jobs, mm. any of us, <laughs> where, if your company did enforce a password change on you, you would often take your existing password and you'd add a number one on the end. Exactly. Or number two, or April. How do you April, know my May, password, June. Graham? <laughs> <laughs> Who told you my algorithm? <laughs> I don't know if you're being 100% fair. I mean, I think okay. in this instance, fine. But I think a lot of companies out there still, and we used to recommend it. I used to work at a security firm where we recommended, in fact, internally every 90 days, the password was a forced change. Yes. This is 10 years well, ago, but that, this That happened. might have been our IT department recommending it. I'm not sure that the security experts at that particular company thought that was a good idea. <laughs> All I'm saying is there's a lot of companies who are doing this where the IT experts who are responsible for security are mandating this. And I think there are some costs to this. And this is a very good example as to one of them. If everyone's password has to be changed on the same day, your site goes down. I think one reason why some companies have implemented in the past a, a sort of regular resetting of passwords is because people leave a company and they think, yeah. crikey, we don't want that password still living. Now, that does deal with that problem, but a better way to deal with that problem would be when someone leaves the company, reset any passwords which they had access to instead, rather that, than... That would require an actual offboarding process that's exactly. somewhat organized, and that's asking a lot of... You can tell that Graham never worked in IT. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if that's necessarily an IT problem, if that's just like, people left? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, especially for something maybe as ephemeral as a contact tracing program, these are usually duct tape and bits of string, right? So yeah, uh, having a robust organization around that might be asking a lot. But uh, Well, that's why you bring in people like Dido Hardin, right, to head it up. Who to is give everyone COVID-19 so you can test how robust your program She's, is? No? Yeah. Oh, okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were talking about the company that we all used to work at when we used to do the hard password resets, I, I, I there was another algorithm that was very common in oh, the yes. area where I worked where... Uh, someone I know, when she first started, her password was the top row of her keyboard. And the next reset, it was the second <laughs> row. And the third reset, it was the third row. And then by the time you got to, what, month six or five, she could just go right back to the top again. So <laughs> across the top. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, that was her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just keep going through. Yep. Yeah. Great security. Maria, what have you got for us this week? Today's story 
broke this morning, and it's actually a UK story, but in typical American fashion, I'm going to make it about the United States first, and then we'll get our USA! <laughs> USA, exactly. Oh yeah, that's that has a different tinge to it now, doesn't it? Mm. Huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> America first? Uh, so... <laughs> In the middle of our quarantine haze, there was a story that I know I missed and you might have missed. It sounded like a typical back and forth in the long battle between U.S. and China and another little petty political point being uh, scored by uh, the United States against Huawei, which is the Chinese tech giant, right? Yes. So you're probably very well aware that Huawei has been on the U.S. quote entity list since May 2019, which means that in the United States, you need to have government permission to sell Huawei's tech. So yeah. um, this is trickled down to things like getting uh, Google had to revoke Huawei's Android license. I, I think you guys have covered it a lot in previous episodes, what's been going on. So bit, basically, bit by bit, the United States has been chipping away at Huawei's attempts to sort of infiltrate the United States market and the West in general and trying to use different laws to force this telecom giant to stop working with the West and the United States under the guise of national and international security. So what's the fear been? What, what, what's America been so worried about? America's fear is that Huawei is sort of a proxy for the Chinese government and is basically allowing the Chinese government to spy on, say, United States interests. So the fear is that if uh, the private sector of the United States or, heaven forbid, the government had any kind of Huawei kit the Chinese government could spy and steal stuff. Mm. So the new development in May of 2020, during this whole pandemic, which I think we're all aware of by now, is that the United <laughs> States Commerce Department enacted a new regulation that made it super, super tough for Huawei to make their own semiconductor chips, which are you know the hardware brains that run smartphones and other mm. important things. The regulation said that as long as even the equipment used to make a semiconductor, for example, originates in the United States, the end product cannot be sold to Huawei. So oh. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, yeah. So but it's how do you manage wrinkle. that with supply chains? Well, I don't know if you know this, but the vast majority of semiconductor fabrication machines are actually made in the United States. So even if you're like a Korean or Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturer, right. if you're using United States machines, you cannot sell chips to Huawei. So even if you're in Korea selling to China, if your equipment's American, the United States government says, your product is now under United States commerce controls and you cannot sell. Wow. T-I-L. Today yeah. I learned. Yep. So yeah. that happened in May. I, I know I was not paying attention. And this was like, huh. We had other fish to fry in May. We were li- this one totally slipped by me. And now we're seeing the repercussions of that. So that move that the United States Commerce Department made effectively stopped the vast majority of chip makers all over the world from doing business with Huawei. Yes. So uh, if you're a reputable chip maker, and again, a lot of them are in Asia, no matter where you are, you can't do business with this huge tech giant. Huh. So Huawei now has a super hard time making these brains of their products, these chips, and they have to find new sources to get them made, but they can't go to any of like the reputable known folks in the supply chain all over the world. So security analysts watching this on the sidelines are going, Huawei's probably going to have to either try to home source this, which is not going to be great. Or try to find dodgier suppliers who really can't right. guarantee the security integrity of what they're making. Or presumably get semiconductors made by any other country other than the U.S. Well, semiconductor fabrication machines yeah, made by some yeah. other country. And, I, and that's not an easy... My dad was a semiconductor engineer. This is like... I was, not, I was thinking you were swatted up on this. Okay. Well, this was, yeah, it's good. This was my dad's thing. It was like, I remember mm-hmm. I grew up hearing about this kind of stuff all is the time. Is it big in Greece? Are they making lots of semiconductors? <laughs> my dad was in the United States. <laughs> yeah, stop being so racist. 
<laughs> now my dad we, we came to the United States in the eighties. My dad uh, was working for the United States. So um yeah, shame on you, Graham. <laughs> Yeah, shame. Just I thought this was a sideline from the hot sauce, the Vermasis no, no. hot sauce. No. <laughs> Maybe you're doing also Vermasis semiconductor manufacturing facilities. My my dad worked at a semiconductor fab in Massachusetts. That was my oh, dad's line of work. How unglamorous. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. Excuse you. <laughs> Can I say, by the way, today I learned that T-I-L means today I learned. I... I I always oh. thought it was true in life, but uh, from what you said, Kroll, it, it, this has just blown my mind. So I'll, I'll, I'm just basking in that at the moment. Did you okay. know that yeah. LOL does not mean lots of love? <laughs> <laughs> just checking on that one too. Okay. <laughs> I think it was Kroll. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just think of how many people. Lol. <laughs> Lots of love. <laughs> okay, sorry. Anyway, so back to the extremely interesting semiconductor story. Yes, yes. So <laughs> I, I just got to just... Even, uh, just got to say, this is sort of some interesting chess by the U.S. Commerce Department. Look, that's an interesting move. It does force the hand of pretty much everybody working with Huawei, no matter where you are. So bringing me back to the whole reason I'm bringing this story up, as of today, there are repercussions now for the United Kingdom. So... Breaking news via the BBC this morning. The UK, there you go. The UK's mobile providers are now being banned from buying new Huawei 5G equipment after 31st of December this year. And they must also remove all of Huawei's 5G kit from their networks by 2027. So that's a freaking long time. Well, a lot of the telecoms that they've been sort of working this out with said that if they try to do it sooner, that like, yeah, things Five, will break. Things will just yeah, break. Sure. They can't do it much faster than this. So yeah, yeah, it's it is a long. They time. plan to cash out by then, so it's not <laughs> going to be their problem. But like they, they they can't do it that fast. So note that this ban is not retroactive against any existing Huawei kit from previous G's. So like two, three, or four G equipment can stay. Yeah. Uh, the UK government says that that stuff does not pose the same security risk because presumably it was made with the more trustworthy chips. So the current thinking in pundit land is that the U.S.'s Commerce Department move in May against Huawei forced the U.K.'s hand on this whole issue. Oh, it's yeah. very interesting, because, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in response to the U.S. sanction in May, Huawei tried to reassure the U.K. that they yeah. had this massive stockpile of trustworthy chips that they already had. We got a deal for you guys! Yeah, we got they a could, deal! They could pull from that <laughs> stockpile to assure a safe 5G rollout across the U.K., but a uh, security analyst in the U.K. said that does not hold much water, so here we are. So this move is expected to delay the 5G rollout in the UK by about a year and cost £2 billion. And, you know, like, seriously, I wonder if what the 5G conspiracy theorists are thinking about this. Oh, I'm sure they're loving it. They're like, no microchips in my neck and no... (laughs) The forums must be full of, you see, we were right! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your glorious leader, he's going to be quite happy about the UK making this decision, I think, isn't he? I'm I'm sure we'll hear a gloat if it hasn't already been published or he hasn't tweeted it already, I'm sure. I I wonder whether part of the incentive for the UK as well might have been to get a little bit closer to him and to America because we've got this impending deadline of Brexit coming up and we're we're very keen to get some of that American chlorinated chicken. (laughs) (laughs) The chlorinated chicken, just... (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure this is not going to go down without a fight, and there's going to be some kind of retaliation from either Huawei slash or well, China. Yes. Or I, I mean, what is 
there, this just seems like another escalation in this whole Cold War, if you want to call it that. Because this is a serious amount of cash, which China now isn't going to get, right? Yeah, as I said, if I was them, I would be pissed off. This is this is really yes. something. And I'd be pissed off at both the UK and the US right now. So there's no way this isn't going to, there aren't going to be consequences to this. So um, I, I guess watch this space. But an important message for listeners out there is if you've got a Huawei phone, it's not going to stop working or anything. It, it, you, you're not going to have to send it in or replace any chips inside or anything like that. Consumer devices. Nothing like, like that. that. No, yeah. you should be okay. It's just if you are in a country where you're able to buy Huawei devices, uh, not the United States, their uh, devices will probably get a lot harder to get your hands on and they may become unavailable. And they're they're a lower cost alternative for smartphones, I believe. So this will have, at least on the consumer market, some consequences as well. But thinking bigger picture in terms of US, China, UK, mm. that whole triangulation. There's there's something's going to happen from this. I don't know what yet. Yeah, and we're all a little bit brighter now yeah. on semiconductors. Very illuminating, Maria. You learned about it here on Smashing Security. Yeah, very good. We can yeah, love theory. Maria. Love yeah. Maria. She's fantastic, isn't she? She's the best. Fantastic. Well, from the radiant Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I talking? Crow, what have you got for us? <laughs> Okay, well, you guys get to both sit back, and I'm going to tell you a quick tale before we get into the nitty-gritty of the story, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So we start way back in the beginning of the after times, so February, right? <laughs> and <laughs> this is when news of MGM Resorts uh, suffering a data leak started making waves. Not just because they left their data insecure, but we were hearing that more than 10 million user accounts stolen from MGN resorts were being basically auctioned on a hacking forum or published on a hacking forum. And MGM resorts, they're, they're, this is a hotel. They have a, like a huge hotel in Vegas and other things. Well, like you know that, what? They? they were the hotel where the shooting happened. They, that was an mm. MGM oh, resort golly. hotel. Oh, dear. Yeah. So ZDNet, a a tech publisher, did some digging into this story. And according to its analysis, published in late February, the MGM data dump that was shared contained the personal details of 10 million former hotel desks, Mm. right? We're not talking just like regular guests like you or me or even the illustrious Maria. Mm -hmm. We're talking like celebs like Justin Bieber and CEOs like Jack Dorsey and reporters and government officials and even employees at some of the world's mm. largest tech companies. <laughs> so so it, it's like their personal information, their contact details and things like that were included in this data which the hacker got hold of? No, don't, don't worry. It's not even that much, right? It's just your full name, your address, your phone number, email, date, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Peanuts. Oh, All right. <laughs> Peanuts. Right, right. Anyway, so so ZDNet had all these uh, contact details and they thought, well, why don't we call some of these people up, right? And say, hey, we're ZDNet verifying a huge data set. Can you confirm this information is yours? Hmm. So they ended up chatting to loads of victims and the victims were like, oh, shit, yeah, that is my full name. My contact deets, yada, yada, yada. And these folks also confirmed that they had stayed at the NGM Resort Hotel. So ZDNet were like, something, we're onto something here. Okay. Okay, so we're still in February now, right? Right. So ZDNet now contact MGM Resorts going, hey, guys, we found this like data dump and we've kind of confirmed a few deets. And could it be you're like the digital version of Typhoid Mary here? Right? Because basically, they hadn't yet admitted publicly that something had gone on. 
Oh, I see. Right. And ZDNet get this response like within an hour from MGM Resort security people. Right. And it says, quote, this is back in February. So, quote, last summer, we discovered unauthorized access to a cloud server that contained a limited amount of information for certain previous guests of MGM Resorts. Mm -hmm. We are confident that no financial payment card or password data was involved in this matter. Did you? Did I say sorry? Did you hear the sorry there? No, Should there, I read there, it was, again? <laughs> there wasn't actually an apology. You didn't see? Did, are you, okay, I didn't yeah. see one either. Okay, so they I haven't. Just, they haven't said that we've informed the customers. Or actually, the hotel chain said they promptly notified all impacted hotel guests in accordance with applicable state laws. All right. Now, I don't know what that means for the rest of the people that were in that data dump. You know, I'm not sure they're not all mm. U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. They no. might have been. Canadians, for instance, or maybe Europeans or Africans or Asians or all, anyone from all over. And how does that apply? Yes, because here in the Royal Duchy of Oxfordshire, we have a, a, a very specific uh, data notification rules, which they should have applied. Wait, are we talking <laughs> about yes. Nevada's data protection laws? Like, are, uh, Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, okay. So MGM Resorts also told ZDNet, Effectively, don't worry too much. This data was old, right? And ZDNet was able to confirm this. So when they contacted people, none of them had stayed at a hotel past 2017. And some of the phone numbers they had called were disconnected. But of course, many were still valid because how many people change house or change phone numbers or, I don't know, change their date of birth? (laughs) Right. Right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) How can you say the data's old? You know, just... But they said it was an old dump, an old data dump. Story of my life. (laughs) the the article ends with this statement right the size and the severity of this mgm resort security incidents pale in comparison to the massive data breach that impacted marriott hotels in 2017 when hundreds of millions of users were stolen by chinese state-sponsored hackers sorry who said that this was at the end of the Zedinero article. Oh, right. So they reassured people. Yeah, there's been a breach. They're saying, look, 10 million, 10 million, 10 million. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, right. It's not 100 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Be- Bieber Schmieber. Who cares, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, lo and behold, it seems that either MGM Resorts either played down the extensivity, extensiveness size of this hack or despite having claimed they had two independent forensic teams analyze the situation way back in February. And so maybe they failed to notice that perhaps the problem was way bigger than was reported back in February. When you say it was way bigger, what what, what do you mean by way bigger? Well, remember we were talking about 10 million guests? Yeah. Turns out it was 142 million guests. Oh, and your argument is that 142 million is bigger in some way than 10 million? Is that what you are arguing? It's 132 million bigger, it seems. My goodness, you're quite quite a a large number. Mm -hmm. So the plot thickens because the hacker claims to have obtained this hotel data after they breached this company called Data Viper. This is like a data leak monitoring service operated by Night Lion Security. Yes. So ZDNet contact the founder of Night Lion Security and Vinny Troya in a phone call with ZDNet said his company never owned a copy of the full MGM database and the hackers are merely trying to ruin his company's reputation. Who knows? Anywho, what does ZDNet do next? They contact 
MGM Resorts for a quote saying, hey, dudes, looks like maybe we missed a zero or something here because uh, (laughs) – and uh, they provided a quote, which says, quote, MGM Resorts was aware of the scope of this previously reported incident from last summer and has already addressed the situation. They used the word scope, did they? They use the word scope. Is it possible they were looking down the wrong end of the scope and so it appeared smaller (laughs) rather than proper size? The the MGM Resort spokesperson also pointed out that the vast majority of data consisted of contact information like names, postal addresses and email addresses. You know, not the important stuff like financial information, just your private personal information. Um, so they still have not apologized. Didn't it, it, there was a quote you read on? You saw something on Twitter just before we started recording, Graham. Do you remember what it said? Yeah, the guy from the BBC said MGM are still not confirming actually the size of the breach. Um, I, I think well, they. Where's been- GDPR? That's what I'm saying. Come on, uh, GDPR. Yeah, there must be some Europeans there. Yeah, and I think bog off because ultimately what we're seeing here is how not to handle a data breach, like in the worst way. So the only way you can fight back is basically do not stay at MGM Resorts. That's what I would say. Shame on you, MGM Resorts. <laughs> Done. Yeah. I. I'm I'm not surprised when a small company fucks up their response, but a company as huge as MGM, uh, they don't have an excuse. So I, yeah, just shaking my head at them because it's uh, they should know better. This is not an acceptable response. It's, this story is a mess. Not your fault. Like the the facts of the story are an absolute mess. Yeah, and basically MGM are the cause of the mess because they didn't come clean when they should have. Are MGM the one with the lion? <laughs> At the st- are they? Oh or have I computer? <laughs> oh, no. Solo for a research toolbox from Authenticate is a secure and anonymous web browsing solution that enables threat intelligence, security, and public safety professionals to conduct research, collect evidence, and analyze data across the open, deep, and dark web. To learn how Silo for Research enables teams to timely and efficiently investigate while ensuring maximum security and oversight to ensure compliance, including GDPR, go to smashingsecurity.com slash authenticate. That's smashingsecurity.com slash authenticate. And that is spelt authentic with a number eight on the end. Use a password manager. Just do it. These aren't my words. These are the words of Brian X. Chen, the lead consumer technology writer at the New York Times. It's time that everybody uses a password manager, both at home and at work. Now get this, LastPass from LogMeIn offer businesses a secure vault with centralized secure access, single sign-on, and simplifies remote management of all these accounts. And guess what, you home users out there? You can get LastPass free. For more info, go to smashingsecurity.com forward slash LastPass. That's smashingsecurity.com forward slash LastPass. And welcome back. And you join us on our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. And my pick of the week this week is not security related. Um, It is a website, a rather cute website. And what it does is it says, let's face it, we're all stuck indoors. 
It's going to be a while till we travel again. Wouldn't you like to look out through someone else's window, somewhere else in the world? And on the website, windowswap.com, and there's a dash between window and swap, you can see <laughs> movies through other people's windows all around oh, the world. Oh, I have this one with these cute little doggies. And you can Aww. cycle <laughs> through them. So if you don't like one, just press it again and you'll yeah. go somewhere else in the world. Oh, bunch of cars. Boring. And some of them are really rather relaxing. Oh, this is nice. Have you ever landed on anyone having the, having, you know, doing the naughty? Right, cross. Stop. Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, but, I'm not right. saying it's not what I it's knew. for, but you'd forget. You'd forget that you would be filming. It's always got to be filth with you, doesn't it, Carl? Carl, <laughs> I knew you'd try and make this grubby. <laughs> These are not live streams through people's windows. What they are is you get to submit to the makers of the site, uh, who are Sonali Ranjit and Vaishnav Balasab Romanian. You can submit a 10-minute video file which obviously they vet and watch, and then they put it up on the site if they like it. So it's not a live stream. It's just 10 minutes, but some of them are really charming and relaxing. I agree. I might submit mine, actually. I might do the same. Why not? It's very, very cute, and it is window-swap.com. Okay, can I just ask a question? What if you submit a 10-minute video and it's perfect and it's perfect yes. and a 9-minute 13? You run past naked! <laughs> really well, fast! Uh, once again, can we go back to this? It's always you being grubby, isn't it? It's always you who has to ruin things for everybody else. I think you're hinting that this is what you're going to do. <laughs> I might. You might want to find my video. 9 minutes 13, eh? Okay, good to know. <laughs> good to know. Maria, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is going to piss some people off, and that's Ooh. why I like it. <laughs> I saw you tweet about this. I, this yeah, if you follow me on Twitter and like actually pay attention to what I tweet, you've seen this story. Um, so basically, I want to know, I'm going to ask the two of you first, how do you pronounce the file format that, is, that ends with .gif? How do you pronounce that? GIF? A GIF? Because I'm not a pervert. And it's not a GIF? No, it's never, ever No, I've never said GIF. I've never said GIF. Okay. Always GIF. How do you pronounce a G-I-G-B-Y-T-E? G-I-G-A-B-Y-T-E. Did I, did I misspell that? You G-I-G- did, yes. I, I forgot the A, sorry. G- <laughs> <laughs> you know, a thing I just made up. I can spell. G-I-G-A-B-Y-T-E. How do you pronounce that? Well, gigawatt, obviously. N- well, no, because she spelled bite, girl. Uh, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> can't even spell can you it's gigabyte gigabyte G- gigabyte and, yes. and gif right so yes. um nist which is the national institute of science and technology united states the, one of the, our big sciencey places i almost had an internship mm-hmm. there i should yes know what they they're for. actually they're very cool because they provide a framework for cybersecurity. so if you're a company and you kind of want free resource on how to like build a security policy in your company nist has a ton of up-to-date resources so just sorry just doing a little ad for them but it is good stuff yes they're they they are a repository of extremely intelligent people yeah i highly respect them okay so nist says that the giga prefix is pronounced correctly jiga what jiga 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 making the pronunciation of what we normally would say gigawatts in back to the future is actually correct as gigawatts gigawatts hang on 
So in Back to the Future, they say gigawatts. They say gigawatts, and people have been giving them shit since the <laughs> 80s that Back to the Future was like, oh, they said gigawatts. Apparently that's correct, and we should also be saying gigabyte. Look, gigawatts is way more fun to say. Gigawatt, gigabyte. Gigabyte, yeah. gigawatt. Are we Giga sure whatever. Doc Brown wasn't French or something? He was just saying gigabyte. Gigabyte. Yes, it's gigabyte. beautiful. Say giga. <laughs> Giga, giga. Say giga, giga. See, it's fun. I think we need to get on board with the NIST. No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not happy about this. Oh, surprise, surprise. The thing that we've all learned under lockdown is that scientists can't be trusted. There are, there's Dr. Fauci going around telling people to wear masks, and we've been reliably told that maybe, maybe we shouldn't do that. And maybe similarly, we shouldn't trust these people trying to tell us that gigabyte isn't pronounced gigabyte. It's gigabyte, and I will die on this hill. No, I won't. But I. <laughs> Gigabyte. 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 It's actually gigabyte if you want to go by the original Greek. Gigabyte. Oh, well, okay. The Greek has corrected us. No, 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 no. That's not Greek. I'm just joking. Oh, my God. Actual Greeks will be so mad at me. Funny. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Mine's not funny. Oh. Mine's not funny. Mine's not funny. Well, that just about wraps it up. <laughs> no, but it's kind of maybe important, maybe interesting. Maybe. Okay? Maybe. Okay. So so during the pandemic, I have mm. been giving some thought to the single folk out there. Right? Oh, yes. Because during yes. a pandemic, if you're on the lookout for a partner, that's got to suck. Yes. And... I was uh, thinking, oh, you know, I wonder what's going on. And then I was like scrolling through my pods and I found this pod that I subscribed to, I don't know, a few years ago, a year ago, and I'd never listened to it. And it's called No. I think I probably read about it somewhere, subscribed to it, and there it was sitting on my feet. No with a cano. No. No as an N-O. No. Oh, N-O. Right. <laughs> Pronoun- pronounced no. Yes. <laughs> New. It's put out by a podcast network called The Heart Radio, and they put out a few episodes, and one of them was this four-part series called No. And this is where, this is not for kids, this is not for kids, but uh, this is where the host, Caitlin Prest, explores her kind of sexual, sorry, my mom's calling me. (laughs) What? In the middle of this. It's just, I know. Like, mom, you're timing. She's like, Carol, do not say the words you're going to say. Don't stop. Wow. Are you being dirty on Karen, the radio? Karen, Karen's on the Karen's calling in. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so where the host Caitlin Press explores her kind of sexual boundaries and how she may be managed or mismanaged some of the situations as she kind of, I don't know, slalom through boyfriends, friends with benefits, all the stuff. But even cooler than that. So A, I recommend listening to it. I'm not saying you're going to agree with it all. I'm not saying you will or won't. It's just worth listening to. It's going to stretch your mind a bit. But even cooler is that a show that I've listened to for more than a decade, Radiolab, did this retrospective on this Caitlin No series that she did. And so they kind of uh, sum up her four episodes into one tiny episode, and then they kind of explore it from different points of view, what she kind of covered in her show. It's fascinating. Check it out. Or don't. All right. Or don't, you know? So uh, are you recommending the podcast No or the Radio Lab episode? I recommend no? both. Okay. All right. And we'll put links in the show notes if anyone wants to check it Under out. Under this episode 187. Marvellous. Well, that just about wraps it up this week. Maria, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and tell you that you're wrong about how to pronounce gigabyte. Gigabyte. 
Jigga jigga. Remind us what your <laughs> Twitter handle is. Um, I'm on Jigabyte. No, uh, I'm on Twitter at mvermazis. Uh, please spell it correctly. Fantastic. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter didn't ask to have a G. And you can join the Smash Insecurity subreddit as well. And don't forget, if you want to be sure never to miss another episode, please subscribe in your favourite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Pocket Casts. And thank you for listening to us, for supporting, for sharing episodes of Smashing Security. You guys rock also, huge thank you to this week's Smashing Security sponsors, Authenticate and LastPass. Their support helps us give you this show for free. And make sure to stay tuned for our exclusive feature interview with Scott Petrie, co-founder and CEO of Authenticate. Check out SmashingSecurity.com for past episodes, sponsorship details, and information on how to get in touch with us. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Exciting today, listeners. We have Scott Petrie. He's the co-founder and CEO of Authenticate. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Carol, thanks for having me. You know, we also have another special guest here on this interview, don't we, Graham? Make <laughs> yourself known. I wasn't expecting to be introduced. Hello. I'm here. Nice to meet you, Scott. <laughs> nice to meet you, Graham. <laughs> okay, so first, Scott, tell us all about Authenticate. What do you guys do? Well, Authenticate is focused on doing something that sounds really simple, but is actually pretty sophisticated. Mm. We build what's called a web isolation platform, and that basically means that as users interact with web services, we provide an intermediary web environment that conducts all their actions for them and turns whatever they're doing online into a safe, secure, benign, policy-controlled audited work stream. So you can think about Authenticate as basically providing a platform that allows people to access the internet using browsers running on our platform rather than the browser on their own local device. Okay, so I'm guessing the kind of people that would be really interested in this are people that are really interested in keeping their actions private or really into privacy? It's a great question, and the answer is yes, plus. So okay. when... when <laughs> When, when, when we started the company, you know, we, we, we basically saw that there was more and more stuff being done online, right? The proliferation of cloud applications, people moving all their personal activities, you know, banks and healthcare providers starting to uh, provide web access portals for users. People were using the, the, the regular browser that came with their computer, using the browser to store passwords, to you know, download data, cache information, keep their local state in that environment. At the same time, advertisers or bad actors are using the exact same channel of delivering web code to try to corrupt those systems. And so when we, when we started the company, we were thinking about pretty much a, a, a broad array of issues associated with the browser, and anonymity and privacy is absolutely one of those things, but also, 
integrity of the page code when you render a page, or the ability to manage credentials without those being stored in a place that's susceptible to exploit, or you know, checking the integrity of a link to ensure it's not routing off to a rogue server somewhere before someone clicks it. So we really looked at this holistically. I mean, the, 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 the web security world is defined by probably 12 different categories of product that live either at the endpoint of the network or at some sort of a, a, a edge-based control mechanism. And what we said was, why don't we take all of those capabilities and embed them in the application itself called the browser? And that's how we built this platform. Ah, that's interesting. So you basically provide a browser that allows people to do work that, uh, and it protects their identity and uh, it kind of anonymizes them. Not pseudo-anonymizes them, but anonymizes them. Wow, better than GDPR. <laughs> <laughs> we are, you know, fully compliant with GDPR and and uh, 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 alphabet soup of, of other requirements as well for a variety of reasons. But um, you know, we used to refer to the the platform as a as a cloud browser. You know, before the analyst community started to track this concept of a virtual browser infrastructure, or started become a category, because the idea is basically. You run the browser as a service, and it right. lives in our platform. You have a secure connection to it. At that point, you're basically sort of using an intermediary or proxy. I don't want to say proxy for the technical reasons, but yes. sort of metaphorical proxy to get out to the internet. That platform becomes the sacrificial lamb, and it keeps everything you're doing at arm's length from anybody on the other side of the equation. And that's kind of the beauty of this approach, isn't it, is that you're letting someone browse the internet like they would normally, but they're kind of doing it inside a, a protected bubble. And if anything bad happens in it, it's it's not going to cause them any harm. Exactly right. We, we transcode everything that the browser executes using standard protocols into our proprietary and encrypted uh, display protocol, you know, uh, remote rendering protocol. It's it's more than just display. It's audio, video, et cetera. It's binary hmm. files if authorized. But then the important thing, Graham, also is that in addition to that bubble, a lot of our customers are operating in compliance-oriented organizations right. or they have sensitive workflows like, you know, law enforcement investigations or financial uh, 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 activities. We provide a full suite of administrative policies as well to control device access, data policies like upload and download. And then we have the ability for all activity to be logged centrally, regardless of device, network, etc. And that log data is all encrypted with customer-controlled keys. So the customer gets to control their data rather than us controlling their data. So, so that, that, that to me seems really cool because if I was for instance, investigating financial fraud, or if I was in law enforcement working on a case, I would imagine if I was using a, a normal browser on my computer, I'd kind of have to fill in a logbook every time I clicked on a link or downloaded something. Whereas if you're working inside that sort of environment you're describing, everything is sort of getting logged for you. It's it's absolutely right. And, and if you think about, you know, the that example right there, and we have customers who have spoke, we've spoken to about this. When IT gives a financial crimes investigator a set of tools, they are by definition doing things outside of corporate policy. They're going to a website perhaps or interacting on an internet forum that a normal employee wouldn't be allowed to get to. They're interacting with web code 
that could be damaging to the organization that a normal employee wouldn't allow to wouldn't be allowed to transit the the gateway and come into the environment. And so, they're giving the employee these tools that allow them to conduct their investigations anonymously and securely, as Carol, you know, as you said. But it's also still inside of the realm of control, where IT has positive visibility over how the tool is being used and to prevent abuse, which is a critical part of the compliance equation as well. So tell me about the customers you have. Like you mentioned law enforcement. I'm guessing there's also going to be some law firms involved, insurance companies. A little bit of history. This is the second company that I've started. The first company was an email security company that was also a pioneer in the cloud space. And and uh, uh, it became a pretty... Uh, um, well-known company. And that was an awesome platform because we could sell the same thing to every customer. Hmm. And if I had, if I understood <laughs> then <laughs> what I know now, uh, the the cross to bear the the challenge for our company is that we're not a single platform for a single customer. It's not like you can just go to every organization and say replace your browser. It's a little bit more difficult than that because of a variety of reasons. Whether it's you know user preference issues or whether it's uh, IT change management issues or whatever. What we've been able to do though, and what a what a, you know what our our market differentiation is, is that our product can be configured very specifically for very specific use cases. So yes, we have financial services firms using us for forms of financial fraud and money laundering investigations. Yes, we absolutely have law firms using us. The use case there is slightly different though. That might be an environment where the senior partners need to get access to, you know, social media sites or personal sites, but the law, uh, the legal IT doesn't want that information to be commingled with sensitive client data on the same device. And so they can use our platform as a way to give a second window onto the internet where there's no data commingling, if if, if you understand that. Mm. We have... It's almost like a virtual safe room. It, 100%, 100%. And with the the recent change to the way everybody works, uh, you know, if this was a video conference, you'd see me in one of the bedrooms in my house, and it's, you know, (laughs) this is my office now. Uh, More and more people are working remotely, and so we've seen this idea of being able to take the browser and implement positive policy control and audit over the browser it allows IT to get back in control of what people are doing when they're working remote without having to give them a laptop and a VPN connection, et cetera. So we have a lot of organizations that are using this for regulated access to cloud applications, whether it's you know HR and payroll related activity, call center, help desk oriented activity. Those employees are all working remotely now. When you give, when you send your employees home, how do you tell them, okay, be careful when you log into uh, Freshdesk. Totally, right? <laughs> and like, I know, I know. And like, use your computer, but make sure it's secure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly yeah. crazy. So our customers are across a variety of use cases, and and you know, ranging from very sensitive and very secure to just you know, good IT practices for employees being online. Okay, so let's say I'm listening to this and I'm thinking this sounds extremely cool. What? Okay, so and I'm thinking this could be something good for my organization or for my project. What what steps do they do? How does it work? Do they get to test it out or 
Hundred percent. So uh, we 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 are a, a, a cloud native platform. So there's no installation of anything required. You don't need to put network kit. You don't need to have a guy come visit your home and you know configure configure your router or anything. Right. You basically can. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you you sign up for the product. We certainly give evaluations. We give trials. Um, you can. Like a web conferencing system, you can use the browser to access the platform, or you can install a native client to access the, the platform. We support, you know, the traditional compute platforms in iOS. Um, then, you know, you basically run it like you would use a browser, whether it's inside a tab in Chrome or whether it's a separate window and a separate application. It looks like, acts like quacks like a regular browser environment. So there's really nothing to learn here. It's like if you know how to surf the web already, you can just surf the web, but inside Authenticate Silo. 100%. Now, the, the, the splitting of the, the, the use case, though, like you might have people who want to have two separate environments, but, but in a pre-COVID world, IT liked to be able to say, if you're going to X, render it in the local browser. If you're going to Y, that's mm -hmm. when we'll use this web isolation platform. And so needless to say, we have all the IT integrations that you would want for traditional network environments as well, including the ability to forward URLs or redirect URLs to our platform. So you can say, my employee is going to be doing you know, access to their uh, 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 behind the firewall web application or you know, from their local browser. But if they go to Facebook, that kicks over into our platform. Platform, and that would be all seamless to the user. This is a newbie question. I apologize if it's obvious. But so I'm using this browser and I go to something like Facebook or a page where I need to authenticate my login instance, right? Um, so then uh, how does that work? Do I just have to enter my password and it, it's uh, Facebook knows that I'm the right person, but no one can trace it back to my particular IP address? Yeah. So your IP address is certainly hidden. Facebook would see it as a machine that, you know, maybe was or was not associated with you before. But an important point, though, Carl, is once you once you give Facebook your identity, now yeah. they can track you through other things. Mm. Yeah. Once you're logged in, they can drop a cookie. Uh, right. and, and I won't get into how we handle cookies, but you can either choose to save cookies or you can choose to have them purged, and we offer some capabilities around that. But if you're using the web anonymously, it means you're not logging in. Regardless of the platform, as soon as you log in, server-side, they know who you are. Exactly. Okay. One of, one of the um, things we do a lot of is training for people in terms of doing, you know, secure and, 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 and what we call non-attributed, where you can't be attributed back to the kind of activity you're doing. Non-attributed access when you're doing investigations. One of the things that you have to tell people is this doesn't work like, a, it should not work like a normal browser where you order your pizza in one tab and you investigate the Bitcoin transaction in another tab because like you're, you're mixing your environments there and, and those are all certain tells that can tell your adversary that, you know, you're conducting this investigation. So it just shows sort of how insidious this entire uh, internet technology stack is when you have to think that carefully about what you're doing in this application on your computer to determine whether bad guys are tracking you or not. It's 
It's awful. Yeah. And it, no, but it's, it, I've, I'm wondering if it's something that would even suit me in my line of work. Like I have to do research on lots of different things that are unseemly, technologically unsound, immoral, unethical. And from my search results, it might look, you know, I might be getting fed information from YouTube and the like that is completely unwarranted for my interests. So we do a lot of work with media. Um, my, my second favorite story of customer acquisition was, you know, we, we have the ability to sign up on the web. And we saw a name that was a name brand uh, right. uh, TV news anchor and signed up, took a 30-day trial, swiped his credit card and was using it. And about six weeks later, we got contacted from the CISO of that media organization and, uh, and uh, did a deal with them. So the, the idea of individual users using it as a way to maintain safety and anonymity online is certainly important, more so for uh, media people. You can keep yourself and your sources secure and basically untracked if you use our product in conjunction with some other pretty standard good messaging hygiene. Um, yeah. It's very cool, Scott. And one of the things I like about this is that you're not being tracked when you're using this, but you can see who's trying to track you as well. And so you can begin to collect data like that with it's both the, the toolbox and Lightbeam as well, which is one of your, is that a, an add-on for it? The, yeah, we have some add-ons that are in the browser that allow you to do that. The, the thing I'll say, though, is that we are not doing that and trying to track any information. You are free to do that. But if you read our privacy policy, we're extremely clear that we don't we don't use this platform as a way for us to collect user data or uh, statistics and use those in any marketing or analytics type of way. And it sort of plays against us sometimes, Graham, because a lot of security companies like to tout dashboards that say how many exploits they've blocked or how. B we just don't want to uh, express anything surrounding how our customers are using our product and when they when they encrypt their logs you know we don't have access we wouldn't have access to that even if we were so motivated so we've really st we give you the tools to do that and collect the information but we're not trying to aggregate that and create side business and you know monetize the data like so many awful companies are well well done to you for that because i i, I do think when that kind of data is collected it can be considered rather toxic data anyway uh, it's not the kind of data which you want lurking about on your drives or being collected, um, either because it's going to be abused by someone in marketing or, you know, maybe they have a data breach <laughs> yeah. day. So, yeah. yeah, who wants it, frankly? Exactly. Now, Scott, I have one question for you. Um, I see on your smashingsecurity.com forward slash authenticate page, you're offering a uh, curated list of open source intelligent research tools that you guys have. Tell me about that. We've learned a lot about OSINT, which is open source intelligence gathering. And we've spent a lot of time, you know, as I said, doing training, pulling together training programs and curricula, working with customers on improving their trade craft. And so, so we've curated this list of uh, different open source tools that would help people conduct their investigations. And we like it if they want to try using those tools inside of our product. If they don't, you know, use a, use a virtual environment on their local uh, computer so they don't taint their own environment. But as they conduct their research, this is a handy list of tools that can be used for people to dig a little bit deeper and learn more about, 
you know, companies or properties or uh, regions as they conduct their investigations. Yeah, it's an extremely cool uh, piece of research. I know a lot of people that will love this. Cool. And the best Thank bit you. is you don't even have a gate on it, which is sometimes a beautiful, beautiful thing. So <laughs> on, the, on the behalf of the tech community, I thank you for that. It's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice freebie. Yeah, you're welcome. And believe me, we have internal debates about that. But I think we really like, you know, give something to get something, right? Exactly. Give something to get something. Exactly. It's like you don't want someone to buy you a beer somewhere and then ask you to get married. I mean, it's too fast. It's too fast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, says the married woman on the call. Yeah. <laughs> also, like Joseph Stalin can only download so many copies of this gateway. You know, <laughs> Arnold Ardvark from Afghanistan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Scott, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, it's been so great speaking with you. Thank you. It's been great uh, speaking with you both as well. I would just say that this this idea of a of a web isolation platform and and silo as a as a browser running in a remote environment it sounds very simple but as you peel back and understand more about how the browser betrays you on a daily basis whether you're using it for your own personal you know, social connections and the cookies are being dropped and you're being tracked or whether you want to do some actual research on the web it just makes no sense to let all of that arbitrary third-party code come into your environment and execute. And it's, it's shocking to me that we have become so cavalier about it. And, and you know, literally $100 billion plus is being spent on securing the environment after mm. people have rendered a web page. And so, you know, I guess the last thing I would say is if you're listening to this and that makes sense, give it a try authenticate.com and that's authenticate with a number eight authentic eight <laughs> exactly scott petrie co-founder and ceo of authentic eight um thank you so so much for coming on it's been an amazing pleasure to speak with you coral it's been great as well and graham thank you it's been fun cheers all right boys that was pretty good everyone happy before i stop the recording 